Spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. Good evening. Welcome to Movies. Max Mike Movies. This week we continue our mission to study the films of the James Bond oeuvre, alternating with the best with the worst in our series Get Em, Jimmy! Today we aim our Walther PPKs straight at one of the more popular Bond instances, 2006's Casino Royale. I'm chief of MI to the N-1 Levine, Max Levine. And slipping into his tuxedo t-shirt over there is Agent B-O-O-Z-E Booze Loose. Mike Loose. It's a diet Pepsi. You <laughs> now, we're going, now we're going to enjoy some fries, French fries, and then on with the mission. Yeah, please. What, was that like Connery trying to slip in there? And I, by Connery, I mean Neil Connery. I don't know what you mean, you rogue. <laughs> you know, he's got those answers on cards. <laughs> I'd have been your father, but the dog beat me up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, let's first get some uh, official British business out of the way in the most oh, yeah. British way possible. Uh, tea and crumpets, I think. Yes, yes. If you'd like to join us for tea and crumpets, you can come to our website, our old website, maxmikemovies.com, where we've got just everything's just tickery boo, and we've got all of our old episodes plus lashings of ginger beer. Ooh, ginger beer. Ooh, lashings. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> the whip. Quick <laughs> watch and the needle. <laughs> Uh, you can also, of course, find us on the social medias, uh, Facebook and Twitter. We're under Max Mike Movies. And uh, you can, in fact, send us a top secret, specially encoded message through the secret alias us at MaxMikeMovies.com, which, through a series of heavily encrypted tubes on the interwebs, goes to the secret alias us at MaxMikeMovies.com. It was a secret. You told them. Oh. But everyone tells secrets in these movies. I've always I wanted to ask you a question regarding crumpets. Yes. Have you yourself ever um, crumped? <laughs> I have, in fact, dunked my crumpet once or twice. If you know what I mean. What? what? Oh, oh. <laughs> have, you, have you ever had a crumpet? I have. Yeah. They're, they're very odd. They behave like small sponges. They're delicious. I love them. They're fine as long as you've put a lot of stuff on them. Well, you can't put enough butter because they just keep soaking it up. Mm. I swear it doesn't go anywhere. It just disappears into the holes in the crumpet. And yeah, once they've been properly fueled with, you know, butter or jam or whatever, they're great. Mm, I try to eat a naked crumpet. No. Which I'm sure is some horrible British slang for something. <laughs> so, hey, speaking of British slang, what are we? What are you talking about this week? This week we are talking about 2006's Casino Royale, the first appearance of Daniel Craig as Mr. Blonde. Mm, Daniel Craig. <laughs> yes. Mike, well, of course, if you hear any odd buzzing noises, that's Mike's microphone shorting out from all the drool. Oh, stop. <laughs> the show. Let's see, we do have some uh, some trivia. I also would like to point out, this is not technically the first Casino Royale James Bond movie. As far as we're concerned, it is. Yeah, there was one in 1967. It is not considered canon. Uh, it and, what is it, Never Say Never Again, 
are the only two Bond movies that actually feature the character James Bond that are not considered part of the Bond canon. It's kind of obvious why. The, weren't uh, we watching part of that when I was over last? Yeah. And we were weren't we both stunned by how un- unentertaining it was? I don't understand. When I saw this when I was a kid, I mean, not when it came out, I would have been way too small, but I saw it when I was a teenager as a reader, and I thought it was pretty funny. I mean, where else do you see a James Bond movie where you have David Niven, Peter Sellers, Orson Welles, and Woody Allen? And the sad thing is, it's not that funny anymore. It does not hold up well. So we're going to stop talking about it now. Now. Yes. So, like I say, that was the first. So we get into some trivia about the film. This was the first Daniel Craig Bond. Uh, by the way, every previous Bond: Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, and even George Lazenby all supported the casting of Daniel Craig. They all liked him. Hmm. I do too. <laughs> oh, uh, had a budget of one hundred and fifty million dollars. Cripes. Yeah. Mostly, I think, on location setting. There is virtually no CGI in this movie except the occasional use to remove wires from some of the stunts. Right. The worldwide gross was six over $600 million, so this did okay. Yeah. Uh, in fact, as of 2007, it was the highest grossing Bond movie until Skyfall in 2012, which we'll be talking about later. We will. Uh, the four-year – there was a four-year gap – between the one we talked about last week, Die Another Day, and this one. That is the second longest gap between Bond films since the franchise started in 62. The longest was between License to Kill in 89 and Goldeneye, 95. Was that License to Kill? So that would have been between Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan. Yes. And uh gap between Quantum of Solace, the one that comes after... Uh, uh, this one after Casino Royale and before Skyfall is tied for second place, also six years, uh, four years. Hmm. Yeah, one of the best. Th- the thing that really just grabbed me—it's uh, not the opening scene, but it's one of the the opening action scene. Really, is the scene where Bond is chasing this guy played by Sebastian Foucault through a construction site and all over, I believe, Uganda. Yeah, the parkour scene. Oh, no, sorry. Oh. I'm sorry, Morocco. It starts out in Uganda, but they're in Morocco. And it's this unbelievable chase scene. With, this guy, Sebastian Foucault, he's one of the guys who invented parkour. Yeah. He came up with his own version called free running, which is what he does in this movie. And free running, I don't, I, I'd be lying if I said I really understood what the difference between the two. He basically, I read a little thing that he wrote where he was talking about it's freer, it's more, there's more flips and dance moves, and it's just even wilder than parkour. It is, uh, yeah, I mean, I have that in my notes, but I had to figure that he was probably not an actor. He was probably one of those people. Man, I was exhausted watching it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he isn't an actor, which is why, as you notice, he has no lines. Which is fine. Yeah. The, uh, there is a well-known shower scene with Vesper. And originally she was just supposed to be wearing her underwear. However, this is to give you an idea more about Daniel Craig. He insists, he argued that Vesper wouldn't have stopped to take her clothes off. Hmm. And the scene was changed. Good for him. Yeah. He said, no, she should, she wouldn't be in her underwear. She'd just gotten in with her dress with the way bond orders his first martini, which is again, 
very long, elaborate, and let's face it, snooty, you know, three measures of this and a measure of that. That's lifted word for word from the Ian Fleming novels. Oh, well, there you go. I would also like to point something out. James Bond is ordering his martini wrong. When you order a martini, it is supposed to be stirred with a special spoon, because if you shake it, the ice chips, it melts too fast, and it waters it down. So James Bond is ordering a weak-ass drink, and he's being a snob about it. Maybe he's a Starbucks customer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, whatever, the, the ones I've had have been shaken, um, the big problem I have is, and I think it's the the vermouth, is I can't make them dry enough. I always get too much vermouth, and I've had I've been told you do things like you pour in a little bit of vermouth, you shake it over the ice, then you pour it out so that it's just the ice that's flavored, and even then it's too much. It must be just crappy supermarket vermouth that I use, but whatever. Yeah, there's better and worse kinds of vermouth. That parkour sequence that took six weeks to film. Yeah, I can believe it. Daniel Craig had been offered the part of James Bond a year before, but he rejected it. He said he thought the series had turned into a standard formula. And then when they gave him the new script, he he changed his mind. Yeah, well, he's changing his mind yet again. <laughs> yeah, well, he's done a few. He's, oh. I can understand him sort of being done. He did four. I mean, that's the only one who did less than that was George Lazenby. Yeah, ouch. Well, um, how many did Dalton do? Uh, oh, maybe he only did three. Oh, three. Okay. Yeah, maybe he did three. Yeah. Mike's one of Mike's favorite scenes where Daniel Craig rises out of the ocean wearing a pair of speedos. I don't know what you're talking about, and it's not a speedo. A lot of the crew were out of camera range in boats, fighting off an armada of paparazzi. <laughs> they were literally like shoving them away from the scene because they couldn't get the ca- they couldn't get the shot. It was full of boats, full of guys with with uh, photo with the uh, cameras. Well, uh, there you go. Just trying yeah. to give the people what they want. <laughs> uh, to prepare for the role, Daniel Craig read all of Ian Fleming's novels and talked with Mossad and British Secret Service agents who had worked as uh, advisors on the movie Munich. Okay, I mean that's probably more. I would say that's all of the reference or research done by any of the actors playing Bond. I could be wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was more than most of them had done. Um, before we get tons of email, it turns out Timothy Dalton did two. Two. Wow. Okay. Yeah, he did uh, uh, Living Daylights and License to Kill. Ah, okay. One of the things the opening. First off, I think this song is very cool. You know, you know my, you know my name. Really, I listed it as forgettable. <laughs> It is forgettable, but it's less annoying than a lot of them. And there are last weeks. uh, Was there one last week? Madonna, remember? Uh, No. See? (laughs) I believe you, but I don't remember the song at all. It's the one Sir Elton called the worst Bond song ever. Oh, ouch. Yeah, Sir Elton. Mm, Well, I like to call him because he's my close close personal friend, Sir Elton. Uh, it was a conscious decision to leave the semi-naked girls out of the opening credits. Yay! James Bond persona isn't really established until the end of the movie. This is also, the whole thing is, this is the first film in the franchise to ever show Bond as a rookie. He'd, in all the others, he's always a very well-established, well-known, all that stuff. But this, he is very much, this is his first time out, or he's only had like two kills as a double O. No, 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 no. only one. Then he kills the second guy, yeah. Right. And he said, it's right, it is easier. Hmm. 
according to, I, I have a little trouble with this, but apparently Ian Fleming based the character Le Chiffre on the occultist Aleister Crowley. Huh? Yeah, I don't get the connection. Le Chiffre, by the way, is a French word which translates in English as the sheaf. No, it actually translates as the, it has like multiple meanings. It's usually the cipher or the number or the figure. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, other translations in the diff- in different languages for different language re- releases of the movie were de numer, hairs differ, Mr. Number, and my favorite, Ocio Spart. That's Romanian, and it means smashed eye. Okay. <laughs> which is just mean. Yeah. Mr. Limp. Because <laughs> yeah. Le Chief has this weird condition. I don't remember. Uh, do they explain it in the movie? Uh, nope. Toss it all. They toss off a name, but they don't really explain what it is. He has some sort of a wound over his left eye that causes him periodically to weep blood. Of course, you remember that famous Bond villain, Colonel Lispy Cat. <laughs> <laughs> this movie got more BAFTA nominations, you know, British Association of Film and Television, uh, than ever received by a Bond movie. It got nine. The record before that was Goldeneye, which got two. I'm a little surprised it got that many. Yeah, it got British Best British Film, Adapted Screenplay, Actor in a Lead Role, Film Music, Cinematography, Editing Product, Production Design, Sound, and Special Visual Effects. It only won for Best Sound. Well, okay. Yeah. I don't know Uh, what else came up that year, so. We also see, you know, they're they're playing cards. That's a major part of it. But they're in the book. And in and I'm afraid in the 1967 film, the card game that is involved is Baccarat. Oh God, Chemin de Fer. Ooh, and they replace it with Texas Hold'em, which is a very high stakes game. Here's a weird little thing: in this game, a hand with a pair of eights in it, which we see, it's not one of the big ones, but it's in there. A hand with a pair of eights in Texas Hold'em. I didn't make this up. Is called an octopusy. <laughs> I kid you not. Okay, o- an octopusy. I love you say that. Octo- would you like some octopusy? I know I would. Thank you, Monsieur Jordan. We'll uh, get, no problem. We'll uh, get so, to you. So now wait, and, uh, isn't isn't aces and eights? Isn't that the dead man's hand? It is the dead man's hand, and I uh, think somebody gets that at some point. Yeah, yes, they do. And I saw that, and I'm like, oh, what? He doesn't die. So yeah. all right. and one last thing. This is just an odd piece. Quentin Tarantino showed interest in adapting Casino Royale with an out-of-continuity universe that would feature Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. He wanted it to be very different. He wanted it to all be in black and white with without the John Barry, you know, down, 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 down theme. And it's all about oh, feet. I'm sure that would have been in there somewhere. Uh no opening title credits, no one-liners, and using voiceover narration to actually work Fleming's text in. It would have been sort of film noir set in the Cold War era. It's supposed to be set right after the death of Bond's wife. And it's it was used to be reported that EON refused his offer. And the, thing, the, the truth is a little more mundane. EON couldn't use Tarantino is always refused to join the director's guild. And uh, they, can't, they can't hire non-guild people. Oh. 
Yeah. Uh, he's too good for it or I, he's, t- he's too weird. I don't know. He just doesn't want to do it. Yeah. That's fine. Not a yeah. fan. And what strikes me about that is you notice the opening is in black and white the way Tarantino would have done it. Well, I mean, we don't know who came up with the idea first, but yeah, you know, there you go. And actually that's one of my first notes, but we'll get to notes. Uh, is there, there any more of this trivia? There is a heap of it. So we're going to just stop with one of the things you notice, I noticed especially, was how much Wait, more physical this, this bomb is. This tri- trivia, or are we done with trivia? Some of this, this is trivia. Oh. Is how much more physical this bond is. There's a lot of running in this. Yes, and Daniel Craig was a semi-professional rugby player. I so, can totally believe that. Part of the reason he's in such good shape. Yeah, well, it's funny because I saw him in an interview on the Graham Norton show. And Graham Norton asked him, he's like, so are you always built like that? And he was like, no. He says, they, they, we basically have to schedule things very tightly so I don't have to work out until just before we have to do these <laughs> shots. And he says, and then we schedule all the shirtless shots first so I can go back to eating. <laughs> so, yeah. And to be fair, you know, the, these films were made over a period of like, let's see, there's four films. The last one came out, what, like three years ago. So a period of 10 years. That's a lot of time. Like if Daniel Craig's in his mid to late thirties, the beginning of this, he's in his mid to late forties by Spectre, mm-hmm. which trivial point is the only Bond film I've never seen. Um, it gets harder and harder to get like that. So I can respect, you know, if that's part of his decision, like I don't want to work out for six weeks to look like that anymore. Um, but also, I mean, he probably doesn't want to be typecast. He probably wants to do other things like yep. the golden compass. Ooh, sorry. Oh dear. Yes, or Logan Lucky. Yeah, I don't know that one. That, no. that was the uh, heist movie set uh, in the NASCAR circuit, which it refers to itself in the middle of the movie as Ocean's 7-Eleven. Ah. Yeah. And <laughs> that was actually, memorable. It was a really good redneck accent. Oh, you know, now suddenly I have a memory of the preview for that. Yeah. Okay. So we're done with trivia. We're done with trivia. Good. This is the big blank space into which I can insert our little themey theme thing. And we're done. The lowdown. So, uh, my first note was about that black and white opening because I thought it was really striking and I had forgotten about it because I've, I've seen this a few times, but I forgot about the opening. Usually this is one of those films that you come across while you're flipping channels, you know, doing chores or whatever, and you leave it on because it's like, oh, this is one of the good ones. Mm-hmm. But then I was looking at it and it's like, is it meant to be noir? Is it meant to be a flashback? Is it meant to reference the Cold War? And now with all that stuff you brought up about Tarantino, it's like it may be, I guess it's not really a flashback. But maybe it is meant to be those things. And it's very effective. I yeah. like the fact that it's like, this is sort of before Bond is Bond. And when he kills this guy, it's like, up oh, and now he's Bond. So uh, for those who haven't seen it, I don't know who that might be. Oh, you didn't do the plot. <laughs> oh. It's a Bond movie. He's, you know, be out being James Bond and driving cool cars and stuff. Okay. Did you he, write down the plot or are you just going to? I'm just going to budget. Okay. Professional, ladies and gentlemen. Professional. So that little part where I have to re-edit this. Yeah, never mind. (laughs) The plot. The plot. So we. This is basically James Bond at the beginning of his career as a double O agent, meaning the license to kill agent. He is sent out in the field. He performs his first two assassinations very well, and he ends up being pulled into something larger, where he ends up going after the character Le Chiffre, who is. The basically 
banker accountant to terrorists. He takes their, their money, invests it for them, and get and lets them have access to it anywhere in the world. His mission is not to kill the chief. His mission is to play him in a high-stakes poker game, Texas Hold'em, and bankrupt him so that he will then come running into the arms of MI6 and uh, trade them all sorts of valuable information. Along the way, he is accompanied by Vesper Lind, who's a representative of, I don't know, MI6's accounting department, because apparently accountants in MI6 all look like friggin' supermodels. It's played by Eva Green. And if Mike is panting over Daniel Craig, I, w- I was swooning over Eva Green. She is friggin' gorgeous. Hijinks ensue. There's cars. There are no. I gotta say, most of the most of the gadgets. There's only one that's really kind of oh, really, and that's the defibrillator that could fit in your pocket. Well, it fits in the glove compartment. Yeah, but it it could have fit in your pocket. My God, the thing's the size of a Game Boy. Yeah, they should have shown a, car, a cord. We'll get to that scene too. They should have shown a cord connecting at least to the car battery. But whatever. Yeah. Honestly, the size of the defibrillator isn't the thing. It's as you point out, it's the power source. But anyway, there aren't like. There's no invisible cars. Yay. There's no laser beams where there can't possibly be laser beams. It's quite re- it's a lot more realistic. Yes. Uh, so hmm. that's the plot. Now I can insert this little themey thing. It's not like we've done this oh 73 times before this. <laughs> you know, um, might have to consider you for fired. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that's right. That's why you brought Haley in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The lowdown. The black and white opening, as I was talking about, this is the beginning. Uh, I thought it was very effective because he, it's you get to see that little bit, like yeah, I'm now I'm confident. I'm 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 James Bond, and right after that, he does the parkour scene. Um, and well, I would hang, def- hang on before that. Yeah, even the, still in the black and white. Yeah, yeah, still in the black and white. They do a, the opening. I thought was really effective because when they cut to that iconic shot. They always do in the beginning of the gun barrel perspective, you know, the camera, like the camera's looking down the gun barrel. He's actually looking down the barrel of a gun. Yeah, there's a reason and for it. When they cut to that, and it works really well. Yeah. I thought also that we see from the start that this Bond is not fooling around. Oh. Um, he is much more, even more of the thug than Connery was. He well, really I, is. I like what M calls him. She says he's a blunt instrument. Hmm. Very blunt, very instrument. Yeah. The whole opening, it, it's interesting because it sets the scene. It's part of the plot and it's not part of the plot. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like from Russia with love, it's like we're introducing characters and stuff that's going to be part of the movie. Not, oh, James is sleeping with somebody else. And oh, no, I've got to quick put on my galoshes and go ski my way to freedom. You know, where it's, it has nothing to do with the film. Um, so why, I guess in one way, it doesn't have anything to do with the film. It does have important character building. I know character building in a Bond film. I know. Yeah, it's a big thing. And again, it emphasizes he's just starting out. This is a new Bond. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's going to be violent. I mean, they, they're basically like, we're not going back to Roger Moore where he slaps somebody and they die. Yeah. Um, it's, it's in, in Roger Moore. Yeah, strangely, Roger Moore is um, uh, missing from our list of Bond films. Well, we'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, I, in my note, we already talked about this in trivia, but we got rid of the sexy girl opening, which thank gods, because it was just all of these naked women. Yeah, I know all you nice old white guys out there, but it, the, it was just really objectifying women. It had nothing to do with the movie. It was just 
unnecessary. And this one, male fantasy. Yeah, and this one, it's colorful, it's cool, but it's you know not unnecessarily misogynistic or anything. So I was actually glad to see that uh, that was gone. So the opening where we, we see in Uganda, yeah. where we see the first terrorist leader mm-hmm. who, is, who is giving his money to Le Chiffre's men. That's actually a really disturbing kind of scene. I, okay, first of all, I know it wasn't filmed in Uganda. It was filmed out. I checked. It was filmed outside of London. <laughs> but you had, Hyde Park, probably. And you had all these child soldiers, which I've yeah. always found really creepy and really disturbing, yeah. which, you, which you get in that part of the world. And yeah. it's just really nice establishing, okay, these are not nice people. Boom, really quickly. Yep. And Lashif, so uh, – Mads Mikkelsen. I mean, let's just face it. He was, I, I hope he's a nice guy. I really do. Cause that poor guy is just made to be a villain. Yeah. His big thing before, uh, or actually no, after this that I remember is he played Hannibal Lecter in the series. Yeah. So TV series about him and he, he pulled it off. And his, he doesn't have a lot of expressions in this film, which works really well. Like the first time we see him, he's in this, this camp. And they're about to hand him basically a hundred million dollars. I don't know where they got it or however much they're giving him. And he's promising that he's going to invest it and make it available. However they want it available. And there are all these guys surrounding him and his buddy uh, with guns, you know, very, very potent, big, large, throw lots of bullets, guns. And he's just sitting there, kills a cu- cucumber until he accidentally, or just because it's part of his his affliction, just starts crying a bloody tear. And to me, that's just like, wow, he does not care. Like these guys do not spook him at all. Nope. And then of course he's got we've got Mr. White, and we don't necessarily know exactly what the deal is with Mr. White until later. Yeah. Um, but he also is these guys are like not thrown. And I don't know why they're not thrown, but they're not. They are absolutely unimpressed by anybody. Yeah. But, I mean, Mads Mikkelsen, the thing we both saw him in more recently, do you remember? He was in Doctor Strange. He was Cassilius. Right. And he's a great villain there, too. Uh, he's just one of those guys. It's like, you know, I, I'm sorry we, we don't want you for the romantic lead because you're creepy. <laughs> but you're good at it. <laughs> and besides, your name is Mads, for God's sake. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's short for something or whatever, right. but uh, it would take a scientist to explain it. Um, <laughs> then we get that parkour chase. We basically go, J- James is trying, and it's cool because James is like the senior um, agent after this guy who's the first in a a series of people that's going to lead them to whoever's doing all this stuff with the with the terrorists. And he's telling this guy, Dude, don't put your hand to your ear. It's Wait, obvious that you're an agent. Yeah, it's like, hi, what, you're just you're pointing at your earpiece, basically, idiot. Yeah. You know, yeah, don't look at him. Don't draw your. He's, obviously, the guy that he, that uh, Bond is working with is some new kid or some desk jockey. It's like, no, don't draw your weapon. We need him alive. Stop touching your ear. You know, stop being a prat, basically. Yeah, and then Bond goes after this guy, and it is. An amazingly thrilling, exhausting, exciting chase on foot, not yeah. in a car. On, no cars, on foot. No, no flying, nothing. It's just, ah, jump, leap, swing. If you've never seen parkour, now to be fair, I hope 
at certain points during that thing, there were wires that they got rid of. I okay, think right. that there probably weren't, or let's put it this way. There didn't need to be because parkour people are crazy. Yeah. But man, just watching this guy like leap up and down what's going they're They're actually, they're, they're doing this through a construction site. So it's a, they're putting up a, a skyscraper of sorts and they're just running and jumping like up cranes and down elevator shafts. Ooh. And oh my God. And it's cool because you can tell bond is very athletic. And now that I heard of these, a rugby player, I believe it. So you believe that he's sitting there pumping his ass off to catch this guy, but he is not the fluid cheetah. This one point where the guy, I'm trying to figure how I'm going to describe this. He's leaping across this elevated slab of concrete and he reaches forward. He leaps forward with his hands. They go down first. Then his legs shoot forward of his hands. Like he's on all fours. And then he leaps again forward with his hands off the thing. And it's like this really Panther like movement. The yeah. guy is amazing. It's incredibly graceful. The thing you can tell bond is making up for it just by sheer speed and power he there's no grace or elegance he is again he's like a machine he's like a weapon that just keeps going the other guy it's almost an art form yeah and he's he's the dancer and and, and uh, bond is the football player and that's fine because bond doesn't give up but he's not perfect there's a lot of that going through this film that i really like that bond is not perfect he doesn't get away with everything uh and we'll get to that to yeah, the yeah. big scene where he doesn't get away with it to the end yeah. but um, yeah, I saw another, the only other example I've watched of parkour was actually on an episode of, uh, Top Gear where they had, these guys, uh, had vehicles and they had to get to the top of the BBC building and these other parkour guys had to do it on their own. And, uh, they were, and they were doing this stuff where they're leaping up and down stairwells and they're like leaping two stories down and they're, they land fine. And I don't know how they do that, but they do. They're incredible um, athletes, and they're out of their damn minds. I am not interested in extreme sports or really sports at all, but I could probably be talked into watching parkour because it's freaking amazing. I don't, I don't even know why somebody thought to do this, but they do. I don't know. So, um, uh, one thing I noticed, you know, at one point Bond is looking for his target, and he picks out this gorgeous woman who is the wife of Mr. Demetrius, who is one of Lashifra's agents. And there is this great scene where she's riding this beautiful white horse on a public beach. Yep. And I'm sorry. All I can think of is that horse is pooping everywhere. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I think that's why the kids who are running after it stop running after it. It's like, oh, poop. Yeah, no. All I, it's, I, every, every time I see one of those shots of like someone riding a horse on a beach, I'm like, that's really inconsiderate. <laughs> you, know, you know what that horse is leaving behind, and it is not the horse's fault. That's just the way they are. Yeah. Well, before get that far so um bond chases this guy into a um oh, an embassy. You, yeah. and he's like and it's like well now what is he gonna do and bond is not gonna let things go and he chases the guy in and there's some actually really cool scenes where you can tell bond is making this up as he goes along yep and finally decides that it's better to get whatever the guy had than it is to get keep to let the guy live because whatever he's going to do is going to be it some sort of the guy is a bomb maker, right? And he ends up, and the, the, this is interesting, and I think they're they're kind of fudging things here, but because Bond does shoot people, but he escapes by hitting a propane tank where people are knocked flat and then shown to get back up. So the idea is that he didn't just kill all ten of those guys, although yeah, well, 
maybe. That would have actually been a major diplomatic incident if he killed 10 embassy pe- personnel, but he shoots he shoots the bomb maker and that's right. it. Well, and then the weird part is, and this is where I was kind of wondering what's going on here. And I, I initially I was like, how did the newspapers know that it was a British agent and he was from MI6? Because they yeah. had security cameras and they released the photos to the press. And this is get what gets Bond in trouble. Well, this is a sort of reboot of the series of the whole franchise. And I have to go back and rewatch these. But I'm, now I'm kind of wondering if it wasn't Spectre or who eventually is going to be Spectre. Because there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that does not get answered in this film. Yeah, and there so, are hints at the end that there was someone behind Le Chiffre they don't know. And the implication is that Spectre. Right, and we don't even know who they are yet. The Spectre, they come out and say, yeah, that was us. Yeah, so this film, we don't know. And initially I wrote this as like, really? How would they have known that? And now it's like, well, because mm-hmm. it's Spectre and they, they know this stuff and they're trying to keep, you know, not in the newspapers. Like yeah. they're not sitting there wandering around malls, petting their cats and going, ah, yes, mad cat, we shall take over the world. Like <laughs> they do in the other Bond films. Yeah, There's a lot much. of subtlety, believe it or not, in this film. Um, so. And we also then, I like the fact he actually not only knows where M lives, who is played by the wonderful Judy Dench. Yes, M is back. Yay. Yay. And while it messes with the timeline, because it's like, yeah. well, how come she was younger in the last film? And this is an earlier movie, and she's young, older. I don't, how does that work? It's my stuff. Shut up. Yeah, and who cares? To her apartment, and he actually finds out, he knows what her name is, which apparently her name actually starts with M, whatever it is. And even better, there's a Mr. M. And I wonder, does he call her Cabbage? <laughs> <laughs> See him asleep in bed next to her at one point. Mon petit chou. I still like the fact that she's having the phone call. She's yelling and he doesn't wake up. It's like, obviously this happens a lot. Yeah. He just rolls over. (laughs) Um, And she said, you know, don't break into my apartment ever again, which, you know, okay. Um, I also like the fact that he subtly lets her know, by the way, I broke into your computer. Mm. And initially she's like, huh, I wonder what the deal is with that. And of course, later He's looking people up when he's on assignment. And they're like, what do you mean I'm in wherever, in Montenegro? I'm not in Montenegro. And it's like, well, turns, and then she can actually see what he's doing because she's logged, he's logged in under her username. She can see the stuff he's looking for. So it's actually yeah, letting them know subtly and helping him out at the same time. So there's, oh, there's some brains to this bond. He's not a total blunt instrument. No, but he's, he's not a thug. He is actually very smart. He also... You know, we see that later when he's playing cards with Lashif. He makes mistakes, but he does eventually figure out how to beat him. Yeah, which is very cool. Of course, part of it involves having like a nearly unbeatable hand, but okay. Yeah. He still has to rope the guy. That's that's skipping ahead. Yeah. So um, I also like the little touch. Uh, Demetrius, who is one of his the first contacts in this network, right. drives a 1964 silver Aston Martin. Yeah, so we have achieved the Aston Martin, which also then goes away. Yeah, but the th- 1964, that was the year Goldfinger came out. Yeah, that was the model of Aston Martin, the DB5. It was the same one, the Aston Martin DB? DB5. Oh, okay. The one he rides in this film when he gets the newer one is a DBS. Um, interestingly, so for car aficionados, um, you have to burst a little bubble here. The um, Aston Martin DB5 had something like 110 horsepower. Uh, uh, there was an episode, again, of Top Gear where they raced it against the current model of uh, Honda Accord. And the uh, drag race was won easily by the Honda Accord. Oh, 
Oh, how embarrassing. Well, yeah, you know, back then, 100 horsepower was a lot bigger deal. And yeah, yeah. Then the- so so yeah. we get so we get we get uh, this guy Demetrios, and uh, Demetrios is very ego and not so bright, and he has not only this girlfriend that Bond uses in very Bond fashion to try and get information out of, although he actually doesn't get anything from her. He also um, doesn't sleep with her. Uh, well, oh, it, they make out a lot, and then he leaves. Well, yeah, he orders uh, beluga caviar and champagne for one, but he was aiming that way. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then he comes out of the water in front of her, and she's like, I want some of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, uh, we'll just leave that scene right there on the beach where it deserves. So he then, then there's this giant, first giant car chase scene in the film, because Bond follows this guy, uh, almost loses the guy he's handing off the job to Demetrios hands his job off to this other guy who is supposed to destroy this airlines um, prototype, brand new jet. And the deal with this is that Lashif has taken the money and he shorted the stock of this airline because he knows that if this um, prototype is destroyed, then that company will go bankrupt and he'll make a lot of money. And this is what he's doing with the um, Ugandan people's money. There's a little nasty shot, too, where they talk about how on 9-11, somebody, or right before 9-11, somebody did that with the airline stock, because on 9-12, every, every airline stock on Earth went you know, plummeted because no one wanted to travel. Right. And it's a nasty little implication that Lashif was involved in 9-11. Right. Um, so there's this giant uh, car chase of uh, a bad guy in a jet fuel truck and James Bond falling on and off the jet fuel truck. Um, and it has one scene that I, I, one little thing where it's like the cops are chasing the jet fuel truck. James is trying to get a uh, control of it to stop it from running into this, this prototype plane. And the cops decided, well, it's a jet fuel truck. Probably the best way to stop it is to shoot at it. Well, they're shooting at the tires. I don't care. You don't shoot near a jet fuel truck. No, no you don't. I also like the fact that the, you know, the way the guy gets through security is he's not the, – the bomb he's carrying is a tiny little flashlight because that's just a detonator to set right. the jet fuel truck itself as the bomb. Right. And, of course, there's the big fight, and it's actually a really well-done action sequence. It's very tense, yep. and the jet fuel truck ends up next to it, and the terrorist thinks he's won, but Bond has actually taken the carboner that the uh, little Carabiner. bomb to and hooked it onto his uh, the terrorist's belt. And when the terrorist sets it off, he blows up. The moment I really like there is he doesn't have a cute one-liner. He doesn't say, you know, keep your head or no need to go to pieces. He just gives, even as the police are arresting him for this, he's just looking over and just has this little smile. Like, I got you. He keeps the, his uh, the eye contact with the guy because the guy is like, yeah, you're screwed. And Bonds just keeps looking at him. And there's other points where he does that. There aren't those little, you know, wow, what an explosive temperament. And I don't keep cool, boy, wonder. <laughs> I don't miss those. I just don't. It's that's I mean, talk about dinosaur. We don't need that crap anymore. I, he still has the occasional little the, the little one liners or the little quips, but they aren't these awful puns. I mean, the things like when he takes something, he gets something out of the glove compartment of his car, and he realizes Am has given him a file, and he just looks at it, and goes, "I love you too, Am." 
<laughs> and it's like he's supposed to be a little bit more sly, a little bit more animal cunning than he is smart. Mm -hmm. And it works better with this version of Bond, I think. Um, it certainly was a, an eye opener. I remember because, you know, uh, the, the film before this was the Invisible Car movie, which we yeah. talked about last week. And even though that movie made scads of money, people were just like rolling their eyes and it was just over the top. And it's like, eh, this thing has run its course. I'm tired of this. I don't care. Um, so I'm actually surprised in a way that they did such a major retooling because it made so much money. But basically all of the stuff that we didn't like about the last film, they just didn't do. And they made the character, I think, a lot more interesting. They do. We're not even halfway through the film at this point. Yep. And then, you know, when he's going off to the card game, he's gotten invited to a card game because Lashifa needs to make like $100 million back because he's lost because Bond messed up the attempt to blow up the plane. Yep. Um, Lashifa's lost a ton of money. Mm. So he's got to make it back because he has lost – it's not just his money. He has lost the money of some of the most dangerous people in the world. So he needs to get it back now. Yep. And the Schieffer, they make a big thing. He's a math whiz, and he uses this to figure poker odds. And so he's like one of the great poker players. And they set up this huge thing at the Casino Royale, and he gets invited. And this is like, you know, million-dollar stakes. And I think the buy-in's $10 million. That's right, $10 million with an additional $5 million buy-in. And to handle the money, Bond meets Vesper Lind. On, on a train. And I really like that sequence because it's not just one of those, ah, I'll show you, I'm also tough. Is they're both sort of analyzing each other and showing how much they can figure out about each other just from their initial uh, responses yeah. and their initial impressions. But we get real insight into Bond. Right. You know, and I think that's one of the reasons he likes her is he, she's actually, I don't think she's particularly tough. And she proves later on that she kind of isn't, but she doesn't, she's not impressed by him, mm -hmm. at least not initially. And she's like, Oh, you're going to analyze me. Well, I can analyze you too. Oh yeah. Orphan. Yeah. I'm going to guess you are too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you, I love what she says. You, uh, you wear the Oxford suit with such disdain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Says you, you can tell Bond would probably rather be in like a t-shirt and shorts. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I it is like, a good scene. I like their the little interchange when, you know, he says to her, you're not my type. And she says, smart. And he goes, single. <laughs> yeah. Apparently he likes married women. Yeah. I don't know why, but yeah. Their whole interchange, I think they play off each other really well. I She's one of the most interesting counterpoints that you get for him in, in these movies. Which is, of course, why she can't last. Oh, yeah. gave that away. Well, yeah. Come on. We're, we know there are spoilers in this movie. Yeah, and I like the whole the way they have the card game set up, and we get to meet. Yes, T Felix Leiter is back. Yes, he is, and hopefully he'll stay the same person for a while. Played by the guy from Westworld. That's unfortunately yeah. how I keep thinking of him. Now, well, of course, you know he hadn't done Westworld yet, but no, that was um, Jeffrey Wright, and he, he's done a ton of stuff, including he was in the, the Hunger Games movies. And but before we even get to him, we get this really cool character. His name is Mathis. He is the the local. He's basically the same sort of character we had in From Russia with Love. He's the local spy connection. Got him bay, yeah. And he is it's I swear the guy sits in his office and just machinates and gets stuff done because he's talking to Bond. It's like, well, the biggest problem you're gonna have is with the chief of police, and unfortunately, there's no way we can buy him off. 
However, yeah. we, can, uh, we can make up some evidence that makes it look like he's been skimming the till and give it to his deputy. And while they're sitting there in a cafe, you see the guy get arrested in the background. <laughs> and he just sort of sits there and smiles. And Mathis, is he does this a couple of times where he just sort of arranges for things and things get done. Later on, there's another bad guy they have to get rid of. So two uh, thugs that Bond has had to kill, Mathis puts in the guy's trunk and the police are there on an anonymous tip. And they're like, well, you know, everything looks okay. And so Mathis calls one of the thugs, the dead thugs phones. So now the trunk is ringing and the cops are like, what's that? They make him open it. They catch him with these two guys. And so how are you going to explain two dead people in your car? And Mathis takes care of them too. Sadly, Mathis ends up being a bad guy, but oh yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but I loved the character. He did remind me a lot of of Bay from uh, Russia with Love. Yeah, so then we get to the poker game, and uh, somehow MI six has decided that James Bond is their best bet. Apparently, he is an excellent poker player, which it looks like he is. Yeah, why not? And to be fair, poker had started becoming a gigantic thing at this point, so I'm sure that one of the reasons they changed. Also, quite honestly, uh, Baccarat, the whole goal is to get as close to nine as possible. And we've seen it in many other Bond films. It's a game that's, I'm sure it's very popular in European casinos. I've never met anybody who actually knows the rules to it. Yeah. So I've, I played Texas Hold'em. I don't like it. I, I don't really like that whole five card up public and make a Becky Rest hand out of it. But yeah. It's a hugely popular and for some reason, insanely high stakes game. Whenever you see the professional poker players, and they're playing for $100,000 pots. It's always friggin' Texas Hold'em. Yeah. I know. But, uh, Maybe have somebody out there, anybody know why? Why is this thing so popular? Why that and not seven-card stud or five-card draw or anaconda or any of those? Anaconda. Baseball. Mm-hmm. No peaky baseball. Um, you see under my juicy. <laughs> yeah. So we get this poker scene. And I will have to say, it is a tense scene. But it also slows the film down. It does. I mean, it's hard to make playing cards action-packed. Which is why I think they suddenly have some members from that Ugandan force show up and try to take down um, Mads Mikkels and Mr. Uh, Lashif. Mm-hmm. And this is the only time we see Lashif actually kind of nervous, because I think he doesn't know how far they're going to go. But... We also get to see what a bastard he is because when they threaten his girlfriend, he doesn't even say anything like, no, don't stop. No, nope, um, he just sits there. Yeah. And uh, strangely, she is not disturbed by this because she stays with him through the rest of the film. Yeah. But uh, they show up and they're basically like, uh, where's our money? Uh, we want our money. And he's like, I'll have it. I'll have it. I just have to win it. And it turns out he's been playing Bond. He's invented a tell mm-hmm. and he's waiting for Bond to notice it, his fake tell, which for those who don't know poker, that's the supposed inadvertent, could be a gesture, could be a uh, some sort of thing you do when you're either signifying subconsciously that you have nothing or you have a good hand. And he's been playing Bond until it gets to the point where he can wipe Bond out, which is what he does. Mm-hmm. And, and Bond needs another $5 million to stay in. Vesper won't give it to him. She thinks that uh, he's screwed up completely. But Felix Leiter will. Yeah, because he knows it's like, uh, I'm a sucky card player and you're better than I am. I'm losing. I'm almost out of chips. And Like, what about the money? Because does it look like we need the money? I mean, yeah, come on. $5 million to the CIA? That's paperclip money. They probably wait. Yep, they just stole it from someone. Okay, so yeah, no, no, of course they wouldn't see. I would never do that. 
I have to say it's a nice little nod to the fact that, yeah, MI6, you guys are cute, but come on. Your budget is nothing compared to the CIA's or the NSA's. Yeah. So uh, because we're back in the card game, we have to have another action sequence. And so in this case, Le Chief decides, you know, this Bond, uh, why won't you die, Mr. Bond? <laughs> um, he decides to have him poisoned, which he does. Yep, slips him, his girlfriend slips some digitalis into his drink. Yeah, and then we get the scene that um, yeah. I think both Max and I are going to agree, I call no way. Yeah, I'm sorry. He starts to have a heart attack because that is what, you know, digitalis is heart medication, but if you take too much of it, it kind of has the opposite effect. It sends you into cardiac arrest. Well, the thing that Bond does first, while I'm, I'm glad it didn't work because I don't believe it would have worked, I'm glad they show him trying. He goes into the bathroom with a shaker of salt and dunks a little bit of water and salt, swallows it to make himself throw up, but of course it doesn't do anything. Yeah, it's too late. I mean, once once you're feeling the effects, it's already in your bloodstream. But that's that's what you do when you've been poisoned, is you've got to get it out of your stomach as quickly as possible. That doesn't work, so he runs out to his car where and gets on the phone, <laughs> and they talk him through attaching a defibrillator and punching some, I don't know what it was, epinephrine or something, not epinephrine, that's for allergies, something into, into his own carotid artery, which I'm sorry, you're having a heart attack. You really think you can hit a major artery in your own neck with a needle? Yeah. And, he doesn't even aim. He just goes kachonk. Yeah. And uh, although he can't, he, one of the leads comes off and it looks like he's going to die and Vesper shows up, plugs the lead back into the chest piece and presses the little bed button and boom, ah, I'm good. Okay, I'm alive. Yeah, not only is he alive, but he's fine. Yeah, and that's the changes, problem. Changes his suit and he's Jim Dandy. I don't care if he's running on adrenaline. He's going to be lying on the floor shaking for about eight hours. Yeah. I actually honestly wish that instead it had been something where he makes it out to the car and there's some sort of antidote to what he's got. It would have been and, that, yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess it's, it's is, more... But. I, I guess it's more dramatic to have him be jolted or whatever. You know, but, if, you, if you judge only by the movies and the TV... The defibrillator is used every five minutes. Yeah. I don't think it really is. It also doesn't, apparently doesn't actually start your heart. It stops it. Yeah. Because it's usually, it's out of sync. It's not working properly. So then they start it again. So, yeah. And to be fair, in all of the Bond movies, I'm going to say after From Russia With Love, because there was nothing really out of, like, out of believability in From Russia With Love starting with Goldfinger's when we get the magic car and stuff. Yeah. But between From Russia With Love and this film, that's pretty much the most unbelievable thing in this film. So I'm going to let it pass, but yeah. it's still like, come on. Yeah. Um, and then he goes right back in and he beats Le Chiffre, wipes him out. Yep. And he does what he does is he lets Le Chiffre believe that he's as dumb a thug as he appears to be. Yes, I'm falling for your tell. It's just in this case, it's like, oh, yeah, I happen to have a royal, or not a royal flush, I'm sorry, a straight flush. And it's like, oh. But he has to do it so that Le Chiffre thinks he's falling for it. So that actually works very well. And it's very satisfying to see Bond beat this guy at cards. Yeah, because the guy is so damn smug all the time. Well, he's that smart. Yeah. And this is also hearkening back to that scene in, uh, I, you know, I never thought about this, but there's actually in a way a lot of parallels between this and Russia with Love. Um, the the guy who was the uh, number two inspector was um, a chess champion. He was also supposed to be really, really smart. And sometimes you can still play with people's emotions. And, and that's why Bond isn't that smart, but he's cunning. And that's what I like about the character. 
Well, as he explains, you know, Lashif's thing is he can figure the odds of the cards. He can do the math. He can count cards. Bond, as he says, you're playing the guy across from you. You have to learn the person. And that's what he's really good at. He has a natural instinct for reading people most of the time. Yeah. But that so being after that, we're, yeah, we're running out of time. But yeah, that's all right. Yeah. After that. That's a long movie. It is. It's, it's almost two and a half hours. But after that, you know, Lashif's kind of a, a sucky loser. Kidnaps yep. Bond, kidnaps Vesper. It start tortures Bond to get him to give up. It, it's an ex- elaborate thing of getting the account number and a password to get the money back. Right. And Bond handles torture exactly the way you think he would. He's a complete wise ass. Yep. I and, don't. And it, it's a very painful scene. Oh, so it, it is a naked, painful scene. Yeah. You're not going to describe. No. It's icky. And the thing is, he doesn't escape. Nope. He gets rescued. But I mean, the bad guys show up. Mr. White shows up, who apparently is not working for Lashif, kills oh. Lashif, and yeah. leaves. Yep. And it turns out that there's something else going on. And what happens, they realize he's not going to tell them. Yeah. No matter how much you hurt him, he's not going to tell. And it looks like at some point, Lashif says, maybe I'll let her live. She might even still be in all one piece if you tell me the password, because Bond has the password and Vesper has the account number. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Bond's not going to do it. So Mr. White, who apparently, as we find out, is not one rung below Lashif, comes out, shoots him. They let Bond go. And what turns out is going on is that the Vesper has been blackmailed because her boyfriend, whom we never see, but it's alluded to, is being held by them. And basically it's like, look, if you don't help us, we're going to kill him. And she, there's a, later on, we get the impression from M that she may have actually been the one to bargain Bond's life to to get him out. But they end up with getting $150 million, the entire table stakes. Right. Well, whoever who accepted Spectre. Well, what it looks like is Bond, uh, does his part and the money is transferred to the account number provided. The account number provided is supposed to be for either MI6 or CIA, depending on how that card was played. But we don't find out till later they're in Venice. Bond is, is tendered his rate and resignation. He wants to said, run off with Vesper. He does. And initially this was a question I had when he first tells her that he loves her. Did you believe it? Cause I didn't No, I, I'm not sure. Cause I don't think, Honestly, I don't think he really knows how to do that. I don't think he knows how to be in love with somebody because he doesn't entirely trust anybody. But then, up until the point that he finds out that something's going on, I was like, you know, I think maybe he does. Mm. I think maybe he's allowing himself. Because she even says at one point, oh, the armor's back on. Because he won't show his real self. Mm. And he claims that there isn't anymore. And when he does that, I'm like, I don't know if I believe him. But then later... And they're just, he seems happy. It's like one of the only times the character seems happy. He's smiling, not because he's, he, I know something you don't know. It's, he's maybe saying, you know, maybe I I can't allow myself to be human. And then unfortunately it turns out that Vesper has been given, has given the money to somebody. We don't know who. And Bond finds out and he starts chasing her. She gets picked up by the people. There's lots of shooting out. Uh, she is dunked into the crystal clear blue waters of Venice. Yeah. I call no way. Yeah, yeah. And but also, sadly, you can tell he's ready to kill her himself at first because one of them, you know, when he shows up, one of them grabs her, puts a knife to her throat, and says, "I kill her." And I think he says something, thing like, "Be my guest." 
I don't remember. Um, he doesn't go into a song, thankfully, but yeah. Uh, be my guest, be my guest. I will hold <laughs> her in my vest. Her chest, yeah. <laughs> uh, interestingly, she's trapped in a, in an elevator as a building is going down, and she won't let him save her. Mm. And I'm not exactly sure what her intent is. I can't tell if she's doing it because she's she can't reconcile the fact that she actually did care for him and sold him out. I think she and, can't herself. Well, not only that, but it's like I don't we don't know what happened to the boyfriend. If he's still alive because she did what she's supposed to, maybe she also can't choose between them. Maybe. I don't know, but she basically, she backs away from the door. He keeps trying to pry open and he watches her drown. He drags her up and he tries to save her because I think he realizes that she really did have feelings. Like it wasn't all just made up, mm. but then he's like, uh, M says, you know, come in the trail's gone cold and he's looking at her contents. And he's about to dump them into the Mediterranean. And he realizes that he hasn't really looked through her phone because they're cell phones. Yay, cell phones. Yep. And he finds that she's left him a message and she's left him a trail to Mr. White. And Bond follows him. And the final scene, and it's interesting because the final scene is not what we think it is. He finds Mr. White who it turns out has been the guy behind all this. Mr. White has got the case. He's got the money. I'm guessing it's in bearer bonds. And he trails Mr. White to his amazing chateau, wherever it is, and shoots him in the leg. And um, Mr. White is crawling his way up his front stairs, and Bond is basically like, ha, 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 ha. And then the screen goes black. And you're like, oh, that's Mr. White. Oh, it's not just that. It's he's he's standing over him, looks down. The guy looks up at him, and he says, "My name. the name is Bond. James Bond. And that's the first time in the movie where he says that. Dun, dun, and, dun, 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 then, that yeah, then you hear the theme and the screen goes black and the credits roll. And in, in another move for a movie we're not going to talk about that they've never done before, the next movie picks right up in the middle of a car chase, which we're like, okay, this is how Bond movies start. He's got Mr. White in his trunk. Oh, and he takes him to MI6 and like, here. And that's how they pick up the next movie. So it's like, wow, you know, it's the ending is a nice, tight little ending. Oh, nice, tight little ending. <laughs> and, and But then they go roll right into the next story. And it's it's a really cool... Of course, the next movie also has naked ladies in the elf. Oh, yeah. But, but that's how this film ends. And it's like, it's... it's They, they play with you. And I, I really appreciate that. But, as Max pointed out, we're coming to the end of the show. Yeah, I also like that there's a little touch, a nod to the novel. Even though the... When Bond is talking to M, and she says, you know, if you need some time, and he says, what for? The mission is over, and the bitch is dead. Yeah, The bitch is dead is the last line of the, the novel Casino Royale, where he's calling in, and that's just it. He's reporting that Vesper, who he was also in love with in the book, is dead. That's that's the end. And the thing I like about this, or the unfortunate touches, you now see, oh, that's why he treats women this way. He never, he'll never trust another woman. Right. Not really. Yeah. I mean, it's explaining away bad behavior, but at least it's trying to give the character a little depth. Yeah. So. So. The Roundup. I think it's pretty clear we both like this movie. Yeah. I I remember when it came out, I was like, oh, it's another Bond film. I've enjoyed these. I've been watching them in movie theaters for a long, long time. At that point, it was nearly 30 years. But I was I was kind of blown away. 
I liked Craig a lot as the character. He was not Connery. He was not more, thank gods. He was not Dalton. He was not Brosnan. He was his own thing. He was. And it was a unique take on the character. Also, you know, while Le Chiffre is kind of the high and the supervillain, there was no goofy henchman with some weird physical quirk. There was no army of faceless minions. Nope. There was no supervillain base or you know, death laser threatening the world. This was spy stuff. This was, we want information on terrorists. You know, that's kind of what spies are supposed to do. Yeah. There's even one point where they get to Montenegro and he's got a cover name and Vesper has a cover name and he walks up to the counter and he says, um, you'll, uh, my name's Bond, but you'll find the reservation under this other name. And Vesper looks at him like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, look, Lashif knows who I am. So now he has a useless piece of information. He's instead of, you know, me giving him trying to to pretend that I don't know he knows, now he knows I know and it's going to throw him off. And so, I do like her, her response. She gets on the elevator and just goes, "Take the next one. There isn't room for me and your ego in here." And she's kind of right. Yeah, well. Um I like Vesper. I I do not want to call her a quote-unquote Bond girl because I think she's actually a more interesting character than that. Yeah, she's um, not just a disposable piece of arm candy. She's no, she's got depth too. She's got she's an interesting character. She's got her own strengths, but she's not like, oh, look, I can kick ass too because she's an accountant. She's not supposed yeah. to beat people up. And it really, when she helps, when she helps him kill those two Ugandans, or she helps him kill one of them, she's really freaked out because she's never done anything like that, and that's completely believable. Yeah, uh, it was it was a very much needed boot to the ass of this franchise um they rewrote things in ways that made it much more reasonable interesting exciting um they will keep with this for a while uh, again i haven't seen specter specter is the only one i didn't see because it was not well thought of it was not um, well done quantum of solace isn't that great either yeah i don't remember that one so well but we're going to be talking about skyfall which i really like but uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big Daniel Craig fan in this particular sense. I I don't know his career that much. Otherwise, he seems like a nice guy. Who knows? Um, I loved Judy Dench. I, I that was such brilliant casting. Oh. Um, I'm I'm waiting because I can I didn't see Spectre, but I'm waiting to see how Rafe is it Rafe finds, yeah, who pay, takes over. But I like the idea of him. Um, we're giving some attention to some other characters that otherwise are sort of usually just throwaway. Um, Quite honestly, I could watch Judy Dench all day. Yeah. Um, there, the locations are still exotic. Montenegro, I'd never even heard of. Madagascar. Yeah. Uh, you know, we go down to uh, where are they on the beach? Uh, uh, bah, bah. I can't remember, but that's that's cool. Bahamas. They're in the Bahamas at one point. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's Nassau. We've been here before, but Nassau still looks cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it was yeah, the whole thing, the parkour, new stuff. Nothing big explodes. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of this. Yeah, I enjoy this movie a lot. I think it's a lot more believable. I mean, James Bond had a tendency in the later years to get more science fiction-y and more silly. (laughs) Speaking of which. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of science fiction and silly, our next movie is going to be what, Mike? Uh, Yeah, so when you said there's going to be a lot more, we're going to see a Roger Moore. Uh We're going to the answer to star Wars. Cause that's pretty much why they did this the way they did it. We're going to be seeing Roger Moore as James Bond in moon raker. 
Moonraker. Yeah, next week we'll be talking about Moon Moon Raker. Raker. Raker Moons. Yeah, the second outing of Jaws, because that needed to be a thing and wasn't at all silly. And yeah, and we're gonna have laser battles in outer space because (laughs) so you can guess, as we just said, this is one of the best (laughs) bonds. You guess can guess what's coming up next week. Yeah, and of course we will be back to Venice, so We'll get to see Venice again. <laughs> yeah. And we won't at all have cute little scenes with pigeons. And anyway, next week. Next week. Moon Raker. Won't you? Won't you? Thank you. Hello. Max Mike Movies is a co production of The Voice of Max and the movie wrench.